0: You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: In a minute, we live. We, live. we live.
0: I finally did it, Doug. I went full Mike, Fra- Mike Francesa today.
1: Finally. Just
0: straight up. Stephen A. Smith, I went full-blown Mike Francesa, loud wrong, confident in my take, and really, it's about what's completely wrong as, as, as I possibly could be good for you. So, again, I, I put this out there. You either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I have become the villain. Today in the Hot 5 on the wake-up call, I was discussing the best contract in baseball that had been signed the past week or so. Nolan Arenado, Bryce Harper just yesterday, and also Manny Machado. I went with Manny Machado. I thought I was putting out some good reasons why he could opt out of his contract. It's a 10-year deal, $300 million, but he could opt out at five and maybe take a second bite at the apple, as Jeff Passan said, or Passan, or whatever how you pronounce it with ESPN. And I thought it was some good points that I was making. And it turns out I was making all of those points saying that Manny Machado signed that $300 million deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers.
1: It's passing. You got that wrong,
0: too. I'm sorry. And I I even said, I said about the Los Angeles Dodgers, it wasn't one of those things where I accidentally said the wrong team name and then I just went into depth about some Padres players, but... I actually talked about the players on the Dodgers, and I went in depth about the Dodgers having the best TV deal. I went full Mike Francesa, loud wrong, (laughs) confident in my take, caller calling in and saying, hey, Walker, you got this wrong, man. He signed with the San Diego Padres. I know he signed with the Padres. Why did I go in depth about why Machado signed with the L.A. Dodgers and discussing why that was such a good deal for L.A.? It was bad, Doug.
1: I'm, I'm, gla- I'm glad I'm glad you're starting to shed the pod dad mantle and just go full. Franchesa, I did not do go... my children well. Hey, listen, you, you know what? Mike Francesa and and Stephen A. Smith make a lot of money.
0: Is it Chesso or Sesso? Or did you get that one wrong? We have problems with pronunciations. Me and myself. It's uh, It's it's Jeff Jeff Passon. I like to put a little spice on it. It's Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Find the show. Find most of the, all of the hosts, all of us. Walker Mail on Twitter, at Walker Mail, Doug, Doug Branson, L-O-H, Nada, at Nada @nada the Scribe, and the show handle is at Locked On Hornets. So basically, I've been going by myself for the last couple of days, and Doug is full of takes. We are going to relieve him of takes. He's got them. He's chopped full of them.
1: They've been building up inside of me.
0: He didn't get a chance to relieve any of the take pressure from the Golden State game. I gotta go. Houston Rockets game. He has been talking to me before we went into the studio. He's chopped full of them. So let's look look at what the Hornets did in the last couple of games. It was a close one to Golden State. I don't know how really close they were ever to beating. That's what the Warriors present you. They toy with a lot of different teams, and every opposing team is in it, But really, Golden State is able to pull themselves away. Now, that did not happen against Miami with Dwayne Wade hitting the shot of the year. That did not happen with Orlando, coached by Steve Clifford. Orlando was able to take Golden State down. The Hornets were close at home to beating Golden State, and then they separated themselves. Hornets have like three turnovers in the last three minutes or so, and the shot at beating them it goes out the window. Houston was very winnable as well. There was the last shot that Kemba had. It didn't go in. Now we're discussing Kemba's clutch numbers and how bad they've been in the fourth quarter game tying potential field goals game leading potential field goal attempts that he had he's missed all of them he goes well basically he goes four of 32 over the last four seasons and uh, we're discussing all of that Nick Batum has been very good post all-star break but l- take a look at just what you've seen Doug over the last couple of games what's the number one thing that you've noticed them staying in the game with a couple of really good teams
1: yeah they've been staying in but they can't get that victory they can't even accidentally get get one of these games like Orlando beating uh, Golden State now they didn't have Kevin Durant I understand about that but they still have you know three other Hall of Famers on that team it's still hard to beat the Warriors even without Kevin Durant and then Miami the, again they accidentally beat the Golden State Warriors with that prayer that Dwayne Wade threw up the
0: Hornets can't even get a fadeaway one foot by the way with the leg with the one foot fadeaway. His other leg barely lifted up over the three point line for it to count as a three pointer. No, Kemba
1: had a clean look. That was a clean look. As clean it,
0: as you're going to get. A, it, it was.
1: Absolutely. The Hornets have not beaten a team above 500 since January 17th when they beat the Sacramento Kings.
0: Which feels like a dirty above 500 win team.
1: Yeah, it came after a victory against the <laughs> Spurs. That makes you feel a little bit better. They got two wins right there back to back against teams above 500. But since then, more than a month has passed since they've beaten a good team. And then, you know, four out of these next six games are against those teams. So there's not much light at the end of the tunnel. And and you just feel like there's something um, in just something in, systemically wrong with this team. And you've been feeling that way for two seasons now. And and to me, that game against Houston felt like the absolute best punch that the Hornets had to throw. You saw Kimba Walker getting help from, from Nick Batum from Marvin Williams, knocking down shots. Now the bench, I know we'll get into that in a minute. They were atrocious. You'd like to see the team get a little bit more from the second unit, but he did have other players stepping up and getting shots and Kimball Walker failing to knock down that clutch bucket at the end. But they were playing defense, flying all over the court, getting turnovers. James Harden 0 for 9. I mean, you do everything you possibly can. You have a lead late. And you can't make it
0: happen. Marvin Williams even gives you that glimmer of hope of maybe luck is on the side when Marvin Williams hits the buzzer beater at the end of the third quarter. Like, is is that the lucky shot that the Hornets get in order to win this game? And you know they score 19 in the fourth, and Houston ends up winning. it.
1: People got to start just turn off the TV after the third quarter. You will be a lot. You you will be a lot happier. You will be ignorant of of what this Hornets <laughs> team actually is. Ignorance what the record is bliss, is. as they say. Yeah, you will. But you will be blissful. You will be happy. Uh, And because this team is just struggling so mightily in in the final frame.
0: You see Steph Curry and Kevin Durant combined for 36 points in that Golden State game. If you tell me that they combined for 36, I feel decent about the Hornets' chances at least to stay in it as they did, but also maybe get a victory. Draymond Green, though, goes for 11 assists. DeMarcus has his best offensive game, and you have Clay Thompson have a pretty good game as well. They're able to get that victory. Houston, James Harden, I think he goes 10 of 29, something like that. He does get his 30 point threshold, but he goes 10 of 29, awful field goal percentage. Chris Paul gets his, but not a crazy game from him. I believe 17 and 10 for Chris Paul, but Clint Capella is the one that destroys you. Just a beast on the boards, accumulating, I believe, about 17, 20 points for him, and it's just the wrong time you're facing him. So here's another thing. You face the Houston Rockets at a time where they get back Clint Capella. Chris Paul has played a few games where he actually looks like the healthy Chris Paul. Clint Capella I believe that was his fourth game since he returned from injury and Clint looks like an all-star. Now you're going to be facing the Nets tonight and the Nets just so happen to be getting back Spencer Dinwiddie for the first time from injury.
1: This is incredible. Kemba Walker according to uh, stats.nba.com players that went uh, against Kemba in that game in that Houston game were 0 for 8 from the field 0 for 6 from beyond the arc. Nick Batum 5-for-20, uh, 1-for-9 from beyond the arc. So your backcourt just plays incredible defense. I mean, that
0: That's the backcourt you spent that money on, right? Like that That's the backcourt that you envisioned when Kimba was on a steal of a deal making $20 million, and Nick Batum, you had to overpay for him. It's still probably not worth... 25 on an accelerator, but that's the backcourt that you would take every single and he could average less than that in every single one of the categories that he contributed in. And you'd still that's Nick Batum. That's the that's the backcourt I envision.
1: You're just getting him too late. And I feel like this is two seasons in a row now where where you get some subtle complaints from Nick Batum about his role. You have a slight role change, and all of a sudden you get a better Batum, but it it comes far too late for them to to sort of dig out of their hole or or get things back on track for the season. I was looking at his post all-star pre all-star splits. Uh 12 attempts per game post all-star break uh, up from 7.4 before the all-star break, 7.3 three point attempts. That's way up from 3.7. He's shooting uh 48% from 3. He was already shooting pretty well pre all-star break 38.6, but it has skyrocketed. You're just getting you're getting the offensive batum that that fans have just been clamoring for. And it and it took a role change, but it but it, where was where has this been? You talk about
0: him averaging double digit field goal attempts, double digit field goal attempts in every single one of the games post All Star break, and there was one good game, and I forget, I tweeted it out, I forget what game it was after Nick Batum had actually shown some aggressiveness, but you have to go down. So think about this. Four straight games, he's had double-digit field goal attempts, 11 or more in all four of them. And then you go to the month of February, he puts up 15 against the Milwaukee Bucks January 25th, and I'm scrolling down, and I'm scrolling all the way down until uh, December 14th, where he puts up 14 attempts. No game in between did he put up at least 10 attempts, and he has in every single game post-All-Star break.
1: Okay, but why did it take this long? Because I, I look at this situation and I go... Okay, he changes roles back to two, and now all of, a, all of a sudden he can be a contributor offensively, the kind of contributor contributor that you've always wanted him to be. Um, but it's two seasons now that he's been unhappy with his initial role with the team. He was unhappy with his position last season, with Dwight Howard getting a lot of possessions. It seems like Jeremy Lamb was taking a lot of his offensive possessions. and But how do you allow yourself for two seasons in a row as the highest paid player on the team to be disappeared offensively. Jimmy Butler would not allow this to happen. He would not allow himself to be disappeared without voicing some concern. So I I put the blame on Nick Batum for this. Well, and... Yes,
0: Nick Batum deserves some blame. Now, Jimmy Butler is a different, way different, right? I mean, Jimmy Butler has the mentality different of a lot of different NBA wings that are out there. And when we talk about the money side of things, I think it is important to keep in perspective that it's the Hornets that gave Nick Batum the money. Was Nick Batum ever really the Jimmy D- Butler type of player, right? Like, And, and I, I understand what you're saying, but also, I, I agree with you, though, right? Like I, I understand what you're saying. Nick Batum should be more aggressive at that money, but also, if he comes out and he says anything at the beginning of the season I feel like people probably push back on
1: that forget forget the money for a second I don't think that Nick Batum would doubt that he's the second best player on the team I think if you're the second best player on the team just the okay you have to demand what comes with that and you have a responsibility to your team to produce in a manner in which you are the second best player on the team
0: and Nick didn't do that. And you're right about the subtle changes. The comment you referenced, again, was in that Rick Bennell article that he wrote that, Jer- that Nick Batum discussed Jeremy Lamb's role that it was thrown in there right at the end. I mean, it was it was pretty close to the end of that article that Rick Bennell wrote. It was and Jeremy Lamb has been a lot more involved in the offense and season proved, which is fine, but and then we get away from it, right? Thanks, it's,
1: you come in there with the facts. Thank you. I was I was just all emotion. I was just I was spitting a take in no, your face. No, that's fine. Please. Thank you for backing I, me. I up
0: I, I want to basically just put my feet up, put my hand, hands <laughs> behind my head, resting and just let you do the show today. Give me all the takes that you've been wanting to spew being off the air for a couple of days, but you're right. And Nick Batum has been been a lot more aggressive and i'm glad at least we're here but 20 games left to go in the season man I, you deserve to be angry at nick Batum. we're coming to you from the getimer.com studios in uptown charlotte if you're in sales and need help visit Gettamer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do and that's make more sales we'll come back with more hornets talk here it's loh on the locked on podcast network this is locked on hornets charlotte, how strong
1: you- is an ox are we I think we're overrating the ox. Uh, we are I, not overrating the I ox. I need to see. I need mm. to see some medicals on the ox.
0: Yeah, why don't you do the research on that? You put your lab glasses on. You take a look at it. You I wonder if there's med-
1: anything on the internet. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast.
0: Yesterday, the title of the show was an all-too-familiar theme, and we understand that in the fourth quarter, you knew that it was going to be painful because they stuck around with the Rockets for a long time, and you knew it was just going to be a painful result at the end of this. And Doug texted me. We were discussing the game after that Rockets outcome, and Doug dig, dig- texted me. I can't talk. And Hornets are like an HBO show, is what he said. The Hornets are like an HBO show. They haven't put out a new episode in two years. And so I would like to play this game a little bit on air if we can and this is something I did not discuss with Doug but I came back with him they're like the game of groans I love that that's a that's a decent title as an HBO show that does relate itself to the hornets so if you have any good HBO show titles that relates itself to the hornets we'd love to
1: hear that it. crashing i mean i don't even have to, <laughs> there I don't you go. have to pun that's not
0: that's not too terribly creative but it fits perfectly with the actual show and
1: this feels like this feels like a season slide I mean it doesn't feel like they can pull themselves out of this tailspin well, looking- it, it feels like you know they they were early in the season it seemed like they were magnetically drawn to being 500 now it seems <laughs> That was like, fun,
0: right? Like It wasn't fun, but damn, I'll take it again if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, now it seems like they're being magnetically pulled towards 36 wins. It just <laughs> seems destined that for a third straight season, the Hornets are going to have 36 wins. You look
0: at their schedule. So they've got the Nets on the road. They've got Portland, Miami, and Washington. All winnable. Portland is going to be tough. That's a tough game thrown in there. But all winnable games. I think to ask them to go 3-1 and one with a legitimate shot to make the playoffs is not asking them of too much. But then they have... On the road, Milwaukee, on the road, Houston. And then it's a gauntlet. So you've got Philadelphia, Minnesota, Boston. When you play that Boston game, the second night of a back to back brings you Toronto on the road. You've got Golden State and Utah in a row. It, it's it's crazy the kind of gauntlet that they're going to have to go through. And that's why I don't think it's a stretch to call this game against the Nets tonight a must win.
1: Uh, absolutely. But by the way, um, who deserves to be more mad at this situation right now? Kimball Walker or Jeremy Lamb. I was thinking about this during the Houston Rockets game, and after the game, I looked up uh, Bridges plus minus. I know it's not a perfect stat, but his plus minus was negative 15, the only negative number among the starters. I think it's fair to say that the starter experiment with Miles Bridges has not exactly gone uh, well for Miles Bridges, and Jeremy Lamb is producing uh, fairly well on the bench and giving it his all, and yet that second unit is I mean, Borrego mentioned it after after the game. The second There's nothing else coming from the second unit except for Jeremy Lamb. And then Kimba Walker does everything that he could possibly do in that game and still can't get them over the hump.
0: It, it's got to be Kimba always because that's the default answer. But you're right, Jeremy Lamb, the, the one guy off of the bench, and it's you feel dirty about calling him a bench player because he's been starting all season long. But Borrego brings him to the bench to try to find something. And, Doug, you mentioned this in the first segment. It felt like the Hornets came at Houston with their best shot possible. And not only did you say that, I felt like we heard James Borrego say that. When he comes in in the post-game press conference, he says, I don't know if we could have played better defensively. He does conflict it afterwards and says, maybe we could have played better, sure. But defensively, you hold James Harden to being that inefficient And Nick Batum plays very good on him. Kimba plays excellent defense. It seemed like you could see visually the effort that Kimba was exuding. Oh, totally. He
1: was bumpy. He was up in James Harden's shirt.
0: And and Chris Paul gave Kimba a lot of credit for just how tough it is to guard Kimba Walker.
1: But he got this slight backhanded comment, like for a small guy, like he was basically like, "Oh, he played well, you know, for someone of his height." Well, Chris Paul loves to make fun of. People's eyes. I, I didn't see that.
0: I did see him discuss that Kimball Walker changes pace as well as anybody in the game, and I hope that Charlotte appreciates it.
1: I probably saw that. I may have made that up. I
0: don't know. <laughs> you're just, you're just <laughs> making things up. That's fine. No, that that's okay. I won't come in with the facts. But you see, Borrego also stumped. Now, here's where it's different a little bit. There are different schemes that he could put. You can certainly question the X's and O's of any coach if you thought highly enough or low enough of what they're actually doing. But you go to the second unit, I feel like moving Jeremy Lamb to the second unit was something that you could do. The only thing that I can think of is implementing Dwayne Bacon, but Dwayne Bacon wasn't exactly efficient on offense, and you've seen him get lost on defense at times. What do you do with the second unit? And we're asking that question, but James Borrego is asking that question because you have no clue how to enhance the play of the bench.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a key key question. It's a key thing that head coaches have to do, which which is come up with the answers, whether it's in the game, moment to moment, set to set, you know, inbounds play to inbounds play. They have to have answers for the opposing team and they also have to have answers season wide. And it it just to me feels like there's a just sort of a lack of answers or a lack of knowing what exactly Uh, There is to do about this situation where the Hornets continue again to slide towards 36 wins and missing the playoffs for the third straight season. I don't sense that same level of confidence, at least in knowing what is wrong, that I sensed in, in the previous regime.
0: Borrego not knowing what to do. And Clifford, you brought up a comment before we came in the studio, Doug, about Stephen Silas with Steve Clifford and what he said.
1: Yeah, so uh, when Clifford came back from his illness and and uh, Silas had taken over the team for a few weeks, um, Clifford praised Silas because he said one of the most difficult things to do as a head coach, and especially taking over a team that you didn't start the season with, is to convince all of the players that you know how to put them in the best positions to win and that you have the answers, that when a team comes at you with a strategy that you can get them into a huddle and give them some kind of answer. And these players have been playing this game all their lives. They are the top uh, professionals at this game. They see the game in slow motion. They see it like Neo saw the Matrix. And if you don't have answers for them, they're going to sense that very quickly. It's like sensing weakness.
0: And Malik Monk's unplayable uh, the way the way that he's played here recently it's killed the bench because you have no offensive spark so him being unplayable has killed that second unit
1: and player development was one of the top things that the team cited when choosing James Borrego to come in here he was the answer where Steve Clifford could not get these young players in a position to where they could contribute to this team night in and night out James Borrego was supposed to succeed and he hasn't. So,
0: a lot to of this, the, point. a lot of the success, wins and losses count. So, looking at other factors of if you view James Brego to be a head, good head coach or not, wins and losses, as every head coach is measured, but also the player development. Again, you discussed, he discussed Malik Monk constantly this offseason and how he's going to get the most out of him. So, what you've seen is Malik Monk, I mean, there have been flashes, you know. There have been more sustained flashes this season, but you're right; it's not been the big enough jump that we've wanted to see from Malik and Miles. How much has he developed over the course of the season? You know, do we have to wait until next year to see what Borrego has been able to do to develop Miles Bridges?
1: And what's really scary, Walker, is that we know that how much discussion there was uh, before this season started about. Um, getting Malik Monk to be a contributor for this team, how he hadn't been in the past and how he was going to be this season. So we know how much a discussion there was. They know how much they discussed it and we know how much the team would love to have Malik Monk as a centerpiece for this franchise because he is so exciting. So the fact that he's not I think says volumes about where he is in his professional journey. The one thing Hornets fans
0: had to hang on to was the young guys bringing us hope. It was Simba being held out by Michael Jordan saying, this is going to be the next king. And that was Malik. That was with the face of Miles on the Cub. And now... <laughs> Instead, he's smacking him in the back of the head and, because he's and, going and, onto the court too cor- early. Cor- Correct. And now... With that being the only hope that we had to get all out of all of the salary cap space, and Kimba, right? Kimba is Mufasa in all of this. Kimba needs the help, right? So if Kimba is king, if he were to leave, who would be the next king? But also, is there somebody that could play alongside him? Our hope as Hornets fans were that it was going to be Malik Monk, that it is going to be Miles Bridges. So if that eventually doesn't take place, and again, Doug, if we get to 36 wins for the third straight season, peak Hornets apathy, I think, would come down upon us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine uh, how Hornets fans could find themselves with less hope than if, this, than if a majority of this roster returns after a 36-win season. I mean, it would be difficult to envision a scenario where this particular group of guys could somehow, after almost, uh, what, four or five seasons together as a core— just automatically or just magically figure something out i can't imagine that that would take place
0: i've right, got a, a listener question from daniel tapper who is a fan of the show we appreciate you listening and we'll answer that question in segment three and also frank does request the buyout it's getting a little interesting it is today is the deadline that players who are bought out can actually play for their new team that they'd be able to sign with in the playoffs and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen frank did uh show up on the plane and fly to brooklyn along with the charlotte hornets and apparently the there's some drama between the two. Shocking as this have developed. So we'll talk about that all next year. LOH, it's the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. And that was also a connection of a connection because the new Carolina Panthers owner, David Tepper, looks like the guy trying to defuse the bomb at the elementary school in die hard with a vengeance, which I thought looked like John Hurd, a.k.a. Kevin McAllister's dad.
1: A.K.A. Peter McAllister. I never would have got that. It's time for more
0: of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Please listen carefully. What about from Malik Monk, and HBO show, The Young Nope? Is that all right? No. All right. We'll move on. Thanks again for joining us here. Locked on Hornets podcast. It's a locked on podcast network. Mark Spears of ESPN. Here's another young nope of ESPN. He says on Twitter that Hornets forward Frank Kaminsky would like a buyout due to his minimal role. But Charlotte currently is disinterested in giving him one before Friday's deadline to be playoff eligible. Kaminsky is averaging career lows of 5.2 points, 2.4 rebounds, and just 10.4 minutes per game. Now, we've seen this get a little bit uglier. The one thing I'll say about Frank Kaminsky, one, we know that he's always wanted to buy out. We knew that he wanted a change of scenery at the beginning. This is what makes it humorous to me. Remember on Hornets Media Day. Frank Kaminsky was not shy about saying he did not like the current reg- or the regime at the time with Steve Clifford, saying, "Why in the hell am I gar- guarding Chris Dunn out on the perimeter? That's not a good matchup for me." So he was excited for James Borrego to be the new head coach of this team. But at least Steve Clifford was playing you. He was at least, but maybe a couple times where he could certainly be frustrated with you. But Frank Kaminsky questioned the regime and the style of Steve Clifford and now of course James Borrego comes in and he doesn't even see the floor in garbage time there was one stretch where Frank Kaminsky found any type of playing time whatsoever and now even in garbage time Frank Kaminsky couldn't get any run so now of course you've had some beef between the two sides between the franchise and Frank Kaminsky Frank wants a buyout. He wants to go to a different team. Hornets want depth. And also, I don't know if they feel like they owe it to Frank at all for drafting him ninth overall, giving him plenty of opportunity, and Frank just not able to answer the bell. So now here Frank is, one, we don't know if it's going to be- become a buyout or not, but it doesn't look like it. And also, here's the situation you have with an angry player on the roster.
1: Yeah, when Frank says something like that, uh, like he said uh, before the season. Hornets media day, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's an indication that for anyone who's been paying attention to where the league is going, where these big guys are constantly being asked to, you know, switch onto guards and switch every screen. Like it's just an indication that he did not understand where the wave of the NBA was going, that he thought that it was regime based, that he thought that it was going to change with a coach. It was it was a fallacy from the very beginning. And I don't, you know, Steve Clifford in an alternate universe where Clifford didn't get fired, I don't think Frank Kaminsky has a big role on this team. I think we were we were reaching the end of Steve Clifford's rope. You with think Frank it, you Kaminsky. think it you
0: think it came uh, comes to a halt with Steve Clifford still coaching this team?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I just I mean I, I think back to there was a game against Orlando. That,
0: that's the one you bring. That's the one. That's yeah, the one you think.
1: I of. mean, to me, that just signaled the beginning of the end of Frank Kaminsky and and his role on this team with Steve Clifford. And uh, I just think it's it's interesting that he would request a buy. Like, to be bought out now would signal that a playoff team would want to acquire you. And I don't think that there's that appetite out there at all.
0: Well, and we talked about, we did not talk about the Sean Devaney report. We never mentioned that. But, of course, that there were multiple teams that were interested in Frank Kaminsky, but the Hornets actually turned them down. You saw that, right? The Devaney report of the Sporting News uh, discussing that there were multiple teams interested in Frank Kaminsky offering picks, offering young players, but the Hornets just turned them all down, and Hornets Twitter was not buying all of that. I don't I think just, either they should
1: have. It's so weird. It's so weird how this guy has had, you know, just 1,700 picks associated with his name. <laughs> I just don't I, His understand. agent has
0: done a phenomenal job as well. Job. He's He's, he's got to be the source, right? He's well got to be the source, and we talked about it with Woj. We can always remember the Woj Frank reference which I don't know if you ever got in detail about Frank Kaminsky but it was at the very beginning of this season Woj was disgusted that Frank wasn't a part of the rotation oh well we'll get to the Frank situation you know it's not working out there like, what is what is it with these reporters being on the side Frank Kaminsky's agent is boys with these guys It's amazing to see, and now we'll see if there ever is even a buyout, but it doesn't look like it. Today is the day, and we're recording at noon right now. He was, again, on the plane, despite him not being on the bench. I think it was like, what, 10 minutes into the game maybe he left, or maybe he wasn't even on the bench at all in the Houston Rockets game, but... It, it, he is with the Hornets, at least right now. Rick Bennell reported that he did fly with the team to Brooklyn to take part in that must-win game that, you're, that you've that you got facing right in front of you. So I want to get to uh, Daniel Tapp's question that he asked us on Twitter as I try to pull it up here real quickly. He did discuss Miles Bridges and the fact that his numbers do look similar To what Tobias Harris did, of course, a Charlotte draft pick that never played with us, one of the draft picks that the Hornets and that Charlotte franchise actually hit on, but didn't play. And Daniel says, quote, the other day you guys were talking about Miles Bridges' potential. So far, his numbers are very similar to Tobias Harris and PG's rookie year. Also, we've got Jay Hernandez, who trained Harris for years. That gives me some optimism. All this is to say that I've lost hope in making the playoffs and I'm looking for some sort of silver lining. Figure that may be worth discussing on the show. I do like comparing players numbers just to see, you know, what kind of thing what what is their precedent for? What is there other players that have done similar things to what our rookies are doing? That's why I looked for Malik Monk cases. You know, they're out there. And you don't have to look crazy hard to find people that have really struggled, been very inefficient first couple of years in the league, especially being only 21 years old and making a big jump in their third. Tobias Harris is kind of one where body type, you know, Tobias was chunky coming into the league. He's leaned up a lot, but Tobias was a big boy heading into the league. Miles, a lot more muscular, a lot more refined body type. But I do kind of like that that same body type almost as, as the tweener of, you know, was he going to be a four or a three? You know, defensively, Tobias Harris is an all phenomenal. Miles is probably better in that regard. But I do like that comparison. And there are plenty of numbers to see that Miles can make a big jump in his second year. And I don't think there's any question. This is the number one prospect that you have on the team right now. And there's a lot of hope that he gave you in his rookie season.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot to like uh, in Miles Bridges and his mentality and his aggressiveness. And despite the fact, that this starting experiment has gotten off to a little rocky start. Um, he's still he's still staying aggressive. Uh, seven attempts in that game against Houston. Uh, he's still trying to find a way to contribute game in and game out and, and doing his best defensively against some tough matchups these past few games. I'll be interested to see uh, how well he plays against Brooklyn. And, uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, uh, the story on Miles is uh, uh yet to be written and I have a lot of hope and I think Hornets fans should too
0: yeah I, I think so as well I, I like what Miles has given you this season hopefully he can make that big jump and Borrego can actually somewhat develop him he I'm has like, to yeah. I mean
1: that's the thing I mean he, he was brought in to develop the young guys I mean to me if Miles Bridges does not continue to be a contributing starter and isn't a significant contributing starter into next season then you've got a serious problem on your hands.
0: All right, thanks for listening. It's Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Woo. You can follow us on Twitter yeah. and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Hopefully, hopefully you save some takes for us next week. I don't know if you emptied all of them out, but oh, we no. got to a good bit of I
1: it. I got plenty, but I feel a lot better now.
0: All right, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Locked On Hornets. We'll be back to recap it all on Monday.